Okay, welcome to another edition of the Blues Brothers podcast, the show that discusses all things football and, of course, Chelsea FC, with guests, debates, questions, and so much more made by the fans for the fans. Today, I'm very excited to introduce a special guest for the show. This man made 165 appearances for Chelsea and, of course, the goal scorer at Wembley in our 1997 FA Cup triumph and has also got a UEFA Cup Winners' Cup and UEFA Super Cup to his name as a player. As a coach, he's had spells at West Bromwich Albion, MK Dons and, of course, famously Chelsea Football Club as an assistant manager on two separate occasions, winning the FA Cup not just as a player but as a coach back in 2012 and, of course, being the integral figure in our first ever Champions League title later in the same year, and most recently winning the Turkish Cup in 2020. Charlie and I are very honoured to welcome Eddie Newton to the Blues Brothers podcast. Eddie, firstly, how's life treating you out in Turkey? Very well, thank you very much. I think the weather's better over here uh, uh, <laughs> here in England. Uh, but yeah, no, we're all good over here. Thank you very much. Yeah, the weather. Yeah, you've got the weather with you. And... Um, we wanted to really kick things off, Eddie, if we may. Um, well, we've got an interesting fact. I'd start with this amazing. We were just looking it up uh, before we came on, and it's mad to think that you and um, Roberto Di Matteo both scoring goals in that FA Cup winning match um, in 97, mm. and then you actually won the FA Cup as a duo as well. That's quite a mad, fascinating fact for fans listening there. Um, but to start with, as we always start, Eddie, um, we want to talk about Chelsea currently and the beginning of our campaign and, and as you being a coach, we'd love to just get your perspective on the impact Thomas Tuchel's had um, and his tactics and why there's been such a drastic change in performances and results. I mean, can you pinpoint it to anything specific from your coaching experience? Yeah, I think the main difference of when Thomas Tuchel came in was, I think he showed up the defence a little bit more. Um, uh, when he changed the formation, which everyone knows Chelsea for now, the 3-4-3, three, three. Uh, it, it was more solid. Um, it, Chelsea were harder to break down. They were harder to beat uh, and gave them a more solid foundation to then go and do the attacking stuff. You know, we've got loads of individual great players going forward, but a problem was, I think, under Frank, that was leaking goals too, too easily. Uh, and it was becoming a bit... Sometimes games were becoming like a basketball game. Uh, if that makes any sense. It was just transition after transition and high tempo, great to watch for the neutral, but uh, as a team, you want to have a little bit more basis. And I, I think that's what Thomas has brought to the Chelsea setup. And in terms of obviously, you know, we were, as you mentioned, leaking a lot of goals. You know, the likes of Antonio Rudiger not even really playing a part under Frank at all and becoming quite an integral part since Tuchel's come in. Do you think it's simply a case of being a more experienced manager and just having better sort of coaching philosophy, et cetera? Or do you feel that like he's kind of come in and he's been forced into this formation because the personnel we've got kind of aren't good enough to play in a back four, that, that sort of trail of thinking? I just, I just think <clears throat> it's a bit of both, to be honest with you. I think, yes, he is vastly experienced at the highest level. Um, and therefore, I think that reintroduction of the senior players. I think he would have gone in really straight away and gone up to the senior players and to get hold of them straight away because they are very important in any dressing room around the world. So I think that was his first mission to get hold of the senior players. 
he's obviously had it in his head that he's he wants to play this formation because he thinks it suits the the team. Um, remember, the team played like that under Antonio Conte, so it, it's not it's not something that is uh, difficult to for the players to adapt to. Um, and then. So the reintroduction of senior players and then the, the, the philosophy that he's bringing. As I said, he, he, he's just made Chelsea a lot more harder to beat. You know, the, the, the physical stats, getting behind the ball very early, uh, sometimes pressing high together as a team. But also when they lose the ball and they don't, they're not successful in the press, that the, the, the wide players especially are getting back in behind the ball and making it almost a five at the back. So it's extremely hard to break down a 5-4-1, uh, which Chelsea can actually become at, at times. And then they, then they re-emerge into a 3-4-3 when they're attacking. So I think, you know, harnessing that philosophy, making Chelsea hard to beat, bring, reintroducing the senior players back in, into the group, I think was all of the bits and pieces that he put together that made Chelsea successful going forward. And how big a role, Eddie, do you feel that um, N'Golo Kante being deployed in his natural position now is playing? Because, you know, under the likes of Maurizio Sarri and latterly under Frank as well, he was being deployed more, more, attack, more attacking. And that's mm. not really his game at all. You'd see him getting the ball quite high up the pitch, you know, mm. in and around the penalty box and looking almost a bit lost. Just how integral is him now being re-established in the holding midfield position uh, making to this team? Well, you know, I think Thomas Tuchel said it himself. He's like having two players in the team. Two, you know, he's, he's unbelievable. The amount of yardage he covers is incredible. And uh, his ability to sniff out danger, as you said, he, that's what he's really good at, sniffing out danger and, and being the first uh, person in front of the back four to make or back three to, to, to stifle the opposition. Um, and yet, obviously... It's his natural position. When you, when any player is played out of his position, he wants to do as, as well as he can for the team or for the manager, but it's not natural to him. And uh, obviously we could see under the previous managers that he was, he was not struggling, but it wasn't natural to him. So from your coaching viewpoint, Eddie, I mean, is there anything in particular you dislike about the way that Chelsea set up? Because you, you brought it back to Chelsea becoming very hard to beat now but in terms of a, a coaching philosophy is there an expansive style of football that you'd like to see i think everyone would like to do an expansive uh love to do an expansive uh, style of play but playing expansive football is is also very dangerous um and i think to do that you have to really 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 build a, a philosophy over time and have the right players to do it so you know, Thomas has gone in there and seen the players he has, thinks that this is the best formation to, to go forward and, and he's going to work with it. Do I, everyone loves watching beautiful football. Everyone does. And, and obviously you'd love to see Chelsea go and, and, and be able to attack at will and do the things that they, you know, players in that team can do. But at the back... You have to rely on unbelievable centre backs to be able that are confident enough to really go. Go on, you all go, and we'll deal with anything that comes onto us. That means that they got to have great experience, extremely physically blessed, as in they got speed and they got power to be able to deal with any counter attacks that comes against them. Um, so, I don't think Chelsea are quite ready for that at this present moment in time. 
Are you, um, are you surprised at quite how well Thomas Tuchel's done in the short amount of time he's been at the club? Because, you know, obviously things weren't going so well when he came in in January and he kind of has revolutionised um, Chelsea in, in the short term. You, have you been surprised at how well he's done and how much success he's already brought to the side? No, not really, because uh, at the top of the show, when we were talking about experience, he's got vast amounts of experience. He's been to Champions League finals. It's not going to phase him to get to there again. Uh, he's worked at top clubs. He, he, he understands the pressure of working at a top club. You know, he's he's been there, seen it, done it. So uh, he's coming with an idea and it's worked for him. And he's tinkered with it, and he's he's tailored it, and he's and he and, he, and now the players have really adapted and accepted the formation, and they're comfortable with it. You can see they're comfortable with it. Obviously, he's harnessed it on the training field. He's been working with the formation on the training field, so players understand what they have to do out of possession and in possession, uh, and, and it's working for them. And you know, when a record's not broke, don't don't try and fix it. You know, leave it and establish it little bit by little bit as you get further down the road but the first and foremost what he's done already is won two games start building a platform again for this season and then later on if he feels that he can change it and adapt it because they're going to have to grow they can't just keep playing this formation because people will work them out uh, and then it's going to be difficult so they're going to have to change at one point that's for sure we, we spoke to, um, well, a good friend of yours, uh, Neil Barnett, in, in great length about the Chelsea cycle and how, you know, the, the influx of managers in and out and that, that success that it brings, you know. And as you said, you know, if it's, if it's not broken, don't fix it from a tactical point of view. But in terms of Chelsea going forward with that model, I mean, Neil seemed to be of the opinion that this is a very short-term thing where you bring in someone like a Lukaku and you have maybe periods of success for two, three seasons, perhaps, and then that cycle breaks down. Um, how, how going forward, how can Chelsea break that amount or do they need to? I mean, you know, the success speaks for itself in terms of we tend to, on average, win a, a trophy a season. But um, for Chelsea fans, maybe it's slightly alarming with the amount of coaches and managers that we go through in that cycle. Yeah, I, I think as a, as a Chelsea uh, fan or someone who's working at Chelsea, uh, player, you would prefer to have a manager over a long cycle of time. Um you know, you start to grow to understand them. You know, you have a you have a rapport with them, and the fans will have a rapport with the manager if he's doing well. The players and staff around it, everyone knows what they're doing and understands. And then, but the the, the constant changing, you know, it's difficult for everyone. Then you have to adjust, and you have to get used to a new style, a new character, a new. So I understand where you're coming from, but I think. Whilst Roman's in charge, I think you want you want this is going to be the way because he's uh, knowing working at the club, he's a man that will support you, which he has. He's supported many managers down the road, but he's not a very patient man, um, which he openly admits. Um, he wants he 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 really puts his financial power and everything behind a manager when he brings someone in. He gives them everything they want, but once he doesn't see what he wants to see anymore, then it's not very long before he makes a decision. Um, so uh, whilst he's a, a, the owner of the club, I don't see this changing. I just think, I think uh, it'd be great for a manager to come in and to be able to, to really adapt a philosophy for the club, um, uh, bring young players through, Keep, keep continue bringing young players through, 
uh, as well as the senior and bringing superstars, one superstar, maybe two superstars every so often to, to, to make the, the club even stronger um, and have success with that. But we're talking about if, buts and maybes. And uh, uh, when you're giving someone 50 million, 100 million, 120 million to go and buy a player, plus the wages and so on and so forth, then, then it's a different kettle of fish and everyone's got to see it from what Roman sees. You know, he sees it from a financial point. Um, he's investing heavily in the club, heavily. Um, and not just on the pitch, but the infrastructure, uh, the, 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 the training ground and, and all the things that go around it. And Chelsea's a great place to work, you know, a great place to work. Um, but what, what comes with that is pressure and because he wants to succeed and he doesn't want second best. Um, even sometimes when he wins, he's not happy because the style of football wasn't good enough, uh, in his opinion. Um, so he's a, he's a hard man to please, but if you please him, he will support you to, to the eighth degree. And, and that's what you've got to say for him. And in terms of just on a quick point you made there, in terms of young players, obviously over the years, Chelsea's had a kind of a reputation of it being very difficult to, for youngsters to break into the first team. You know, I haven't really had anyone since the likes of John Terry. And we've had all that success with the academy, all that money spent on it, you know, all those FA Youth Cups we've won. How pleasing is it now to see, you know, the likes of Mason Mount, the likes of Reese James, um, Callum Hudson-Odoi, and most recently Tre Trevor Chalibur getting given opportunities in the first team and establishing themselves? Because it saves you a lot of money on players as well if they, if they, if they become a success. No, it's great. And, and again, you know, I think all of the all of those boys, you know, Chelsea got absolutely battered for the loan program. Um, but you know, the loan program is is it has its success. You know, because you one everyone doesn't understand. You you look at the football side, and I understand everyone looks at the football side. Um, oh, we're not producing enough players through the loan process, and. We're harbouring too many players. You know, we need to get rid of them. Chelsea are trying to take players off the market, and so on and so forth. We heard it all, but if you look at what the financial stability that that the loan program gives to uh, club, taking players off the wage bill, uh, selling players, uh, and this money is always going back back into the first team uh, to invest into the first team, and now after years of the, of players and agents and everyone at the club understanding how the loan program works. Now you're seeing the Mason Mount, the Reese James, uh, you know, Trevor Chalabar, that have all gone through the system. And now they're going, uh, uh, and various Christensen as well, who's gone through, Kurt Zuma, who's gone through all these, they've gone through the loan program and they've learned, they've got experience and now they've come back to the higher level and they're able to produce for the, for Chelsea. So, you know, well done to Chelsea because you know it's easy to listen to the outside voices and maybe crack sometimes. But Chelsea knew what they were doing and believed in what they're doing, and uh, now they're getting their just reward. I'm interested to delve a little bit deeper into that that transition from the, the youth or the reserve team setup um, to first team at, from your perspective as a as a coach, Eddie. Because just how big is the gap to, to go from? that reserve team level or, or fringes of the first team to them being a regular. It may sound self-explanatory, but 
Um, they often say, you know, in, in sport, it's very fine margins. I mean, is it a psychological edge that they have, these, these players that start every week? Is it because surely ability wise, there, there's a very, uh, you know, a, a very high standard for all these players. But is it, you know, the, I, I'd be interested to know how just how big that gap is. It's a, it's a massive gap. It's a massive yeah. gap. Um, you know, people got to understand this, the speed between the 23s and the first team is, is gigantic. The speed, the way the ball moves, the physicality of the players that you're up against is gigantic. So Hudson Odoi would have been able to go past three, four players at 23s level at ease and then be able to either cross, set someone else up and put the ball in the back of the goal. Then he comes to first team training, he goes past one and gets absolutely moved off the pitch and then the ball is recycled from the opposition. And now in his head, he's going, hold on one second. That, that doesn't happen to me. You know, I'm used to going past three, four players at, at will. Um, and, and then it's a readjustment for the player. He has, to, he has to now find a new way. He has to, if he's intelligent enough and he's mentally strong enough, he has to find a new way because obviously he's got to a point where his speed is not enough now. He has to find another way. Um, and these are the things that, Obviously, people, you know, fans and people outside of the, uh, who are not working with players on a day-to-day -day basis or haven't been a player at that, that, that kind of level won't understand is that it becomes a mental thing because, you know, the, the jump of coming from 23s to first team, you know, we're talking about Rudiger, who's an international, you know, Aspi, who's an international. They've seen Ronaldo, they've seen Messi, they've come up against these players. So Hudson Odoi for them is he's a great player. Don't get me wrong, but he's he's a young whippersnapper and like I can read you as like 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 a book, like a ladybird book, and it's too easy for them at first, you know. And then after a while, then Hudson Odoi with like training, training with the first team on a on a regular basis, learning, sometimes getting a mouthful from a, a senior player or a coach. Uh, makes him adapt and he either adapts or he fails one of the two which Hudson seems this season to be adapting uh, and and like he's gone away in the summer and he's looked like he's got his head right he's got himself physically right and he, he started well you know but then you've got the long program where it was there specifically for this reason because the jump is too is too big so you're you're expecting young players who have got no experience, maybe a few training sessions with the first team to jump in and at the level Chelsea have to play at and the pressure that Chelsea are under, the players are under on a constant basis, it's not fair to the young players. It really is not fair to them. So taking them away from that environment and giving them experience somewhere else was the, the what uh, Michael Emanello, when he was at the club, was the thing that he wanted to create. He wanted to give the experience to the players and he wanted them to have mentors to guide them through, to push them through. And it's come through now. And, and now you're seeing the, the just rewards that Chelsea, the patience, uh, the work and everything that's gone into the uh, long players and the young players is starting to come through now. And Eddie, just one final thing on Chelsea kind of currently before we move on. Do you think now that the squad is fully equipped with the, obviously the signing of Romelu Lukaku to really push on and challenge and perhaps win a first Premier League title since Antonio Conte? Yeah, I, I, when, when, when they signed uh, Lukaku again, I said, OK, now Chelsea are in, uh, they're, they're really in the, 
hot seat now to go and win and really put pressure on Man City and Man United and uh, Liverpool to go and win the title. They, they have to now because with the, the setup last season, you're, okay, it worked, got to Champions League final, got to FA Cup final, but for me, when I watch Werner up front with, uh, uh, his name's got out of my head. Havertz. Havertz, yeah. When you go, when, when them two play up together, they don't look like strikers, like out and out number nines playing in that area. They're just adapting to what the managers asked them to do. Werner looked very uncomfortable at times. Uh, work rate, exceptional, but just didn't, he's, that is not him. He's not a number nine, uh, as in the sense of a number, a real true number nine. And that for me was what Chelsea was missing for last season, that true number nine. Uh, who can play with his back to goal, who can bring others into the game, but also score himself. And I think now Lukaku is definitely that player who's that physical presence to bring other players into the game. But he's going to, you know, Lukaku's going to scare centre-backs. One thing you don't want to play, he's a big boy, but he's also can, he can run. Uh, and so now the thing is before, when we had Lukaku before in his early days, all he wanted to do was run him behind because he couldn't play with his back to goal. Now he can play with his back to goal. So now when you're playing up against, let's say, an Atletico Madrid in the Champions League quarterfinal, and they're playing in a very low block, now he's able to adapt and deal with that and be able to play. And that's where Werner and Havertz and all these players come into, into their own because now they've got someone who can set and, and link the play for them. Yeah, we saw that so well against Arsenal. There was a fantastic analysis on Monday Night Football uh, last night about him just, you know, using his arms to kind of, he almost wants to mark those defenders and, and bully them into that position where they're so tight that he can just turn that ball on the spin and bring those others into play that you, you mentioned so well. Uh, Eddie, we, we, we wanted to move on and obviously we, we couldn't have you on the show without going back, all the way back to 2012, as I'm sure all Chelsea fans have very fond memories of. Um, when, when you and... Um, Roberto Di Matteo took over. Um, we were in a quite a you know precarious position. We'd lost that first leg away to to Napoli. I think we remember. I mean, mm. did it did it ever did you ever envisage when you came into the club with, with Robbie? I mean, when you set out your objectives, did you ever believe that Chelsea could potentially win the Champions League? And what was Not your priority? Chance. Not, <laughs> Not a chance. chance. Not a chance. Not at that stage when we walked in the door. It was only can can we, you know. Can we make a fight of it against Napoli? That's 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 what it was. Can we make a fight of it? They're back. They're in our they're in our territory. They're on our home pitch. Can 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 we make a fight of it? You know, show some pride. Go out on the pitch. Don't just go out on a whimper. Let's have a fight. You know, that that's what Chelsea's made of. You know, you know, when I've grown up at Chelsea, the one thing you don't you don't never give up. Never, never, never give up. And uh, you, 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 you make it as hard as possible for the opposition, regardless if they're better than you on the day, you make it very difficult for them. And that's always asking the players to go out to establish themselves, see if we can get an early goal, see if we can uh, make it a little bit difficult tonight. What then followed was unbelievable. <laughs> uh, it was unbelievable. So, uh, no, it was, it was an unbelievable night. You know, everyone talks about the latter stages of the, the, uh, the competition, but that night, that night was unbelievable. Um, and uh, going into extra time, uh, I remember talking to Didier and uh, Ivanovic on the sideline, 
And I think Ivanovic's emotions were going through the roof and he was screaming, let's go to war, let's go to war. And I looked at Didier and said, please, we need all, all 11 players on the pitch. Please go and talk to him. <laughs> but, um, you know, he was amazing on the night himself, Ivanovic. He was amazing, um, as all the players were. And, uh, you know, as, as I said before, everyone forgets about that night, but that was the... That was the catalyst for me. That was the catalyst for the rest of the season. That was the catalyst for the rest of the season. And Eddie, you mentioned previously how important it is for um, to have top senior pros. Just how important were the likes of Petr Cech, JT, Lampard, Didier, for yourself and Robbie coming into quite a difficult situation that Andre Villas-Boas had left behind? Massive, massive, and I think our relationship was a, a massive plus for us. Uh, because obviously knowing uh, JT and, 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 and all the boys that are around the club, um, Ashley Cole, Lampard, I, I had to develop my relationship with uh, Didier and, and the other likes. But I, I knew all the English players. And so to establish a relationship with those players, to, to find out what in their mind was going wrong, uh, before we came in uh, was important um, and to establish relationships with the likes of Didier and Petter to, to hear from them, you know, because they are senior players. You've got to show them the respect to say, what do you think? What was going wrong in your opinion? Uh, you know, without having a go at the ex-manager, it's not about that. Just the fundamentals of what was going wrong, whether it was on match day, was it in training, was it the, what was going on around the camp, what is the dress room like, so on and so forth. And uh, we got to the, the bottom of it and we worked on it on a day-to-day -day basis as well as the football and, and, worked, and worked from there. Obviously, um, you know, we obviously get past Napoli, I think we get past Benfica in the following round. How just how amazing were those two ties against Barcelona? Um, obviously, the one in the new camp with with Torres eventually going through at the end. Just go, going into that night, Eddie. What was kind of the game plan that yourself and Robbie were putting together? Because obviously, going to the new camp in at that point in time, obviously, it's perhaps not as difficult now, but it was a very very intimidating atmosphere, um, and the players they had were just unbelievable. So, what kind of what were your what were you and Robbie's plan going into into that game? Defend at all costs. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, very difficult game, as you as, as you well expressed. Um, it was a very difficult game. Obviously, we 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 was looking to just hit the uh, Barcelona on the counter. Very simple tactics. We had to suck up as much pressure as possible. Obviously, with Messi coming inside, we had to deal with that situation as well. And then the overlapping ones from the fullbacks that we had to deal with. So, you know, making sure that we we're very compact, but not just focusing just solely on defending. That what we're going to do if we win the ball, who we're looking for as soon as possible. Can we hurt them when they're out of position, when they're... When they're Maybe their fullbacks have both gone forward. Can we hurt them in the wide areas? Which we did in the early stages when um, uh, we scored that incredible goal when Lampard put the ball through to, please, Ramirez. Ramirez, Ramirez. What, a ball, yeah. what a ball it was. Put the ball through to Ramirez and he'd done that shit. 
I remember when you done that chip, I screamed. I went, oh my God, I can't believe that we've pulled that off in the group. <laughs> what do you call it? But um, yeah, just, it, that, that was the, the basis of the game plan. Obviously, there's little bits and pieces, you know, more intricate stuff, but the basis was just to be very compact, to defend when we lost the ball. Everyone had to be alert and get back and do their defensive duties. Uh, but also, if we did win the ball, that people also had to remember that they had to do their offensive stuff. We know it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt them, physically going to really hurt them. But you don't get to semifinals uh, often. And yeah. Eddie, how, how, how much did the game plan change? And obviously, unfortunately, JT got sent off. Were you Did you have to sort of completely rethink it? Or was it just a case of, you know, continue what we're doing and, you know, we're just going to have to soak up a bit more pressure. Yeah, no, if we were playing a very offensive game, then we would have might have had to change our philosophy yeah. and maybe rethink about it. But because we were playing a very defensive kind of game, it, it didn't really change the philosophy or the tactics that we're doing. Obviously, you're playing with one less man, you bring maybe one man back that you didn't really want to bring back um, and then you just defend with all you all you can you know Didier was having to drop back onto the, the number six uh, to try and stop him getting as much of the ball as possible and dictating the play and just being very compact and forcing the opposition to go wide and defending crosses as much as possible because you know Barca like to play through you they don't. They go wide every so often, but they really want to penetrate and go through. So we was just trying to make it as compact and force them to play wide and defend crosses. We touched earlier on the show, Eddie, about uh, less experienced players and, and that that step up. But when we got to the final itself, still still a surprise to me to this day that that worked so wonderfully well was was the introduction of. Um, Bertrand um, to yeah. double up on Iron Robin um, with Ashley Cole on the left. I mean, talk me through that process of, you know, when you actually, you know, told him that he was going to be playing and the thought process behind selecting him, because I'm sure most Chelsea fans, I mean, I know we, without John Terry and uh, I think Ivanovic, we were slightly um, forced into certain areas in the pitch, but I mean, Ryan Bertrand was surely just a, a choice from um, yourself and Robbie. So t talk me through that one. It was, it was just Robbie, Robbie suggested it, to be honest with you. I, I, and, and when he talked me through it, I went, I can actually see what you're talking about. And I said, let's, I think one thing you have to do, you have to get the players to believe in it first. And then you have to then coach it and see it, see how it comes out on the training field. And, and then everyone has to feel comfortable with it, which, which we went through that process. Uh, you know, Robbie was very much of the opinion, Ash, and, and uh, Bertrand can do both things. They both can attack and they both can defend. So if Ash gets forward and, and does an overlap, we're not going to be left uh, uh, under pressure in that area. We'll be able to cover that with uh, Ryan Bertrand uh, and, and vice versa. They can, they can do the roles easily. Uh, and, and, and so we looked at it in training. We talked to both Ash and Ryan and, and they were fine. They were fine with it. Obviously, Ryan's going to be fine with it because he's going to play in the Champions League final. So he, he's more than happy. Um, um, and then we we start to do some tactical stuff on the pitch. We do some training sessions to see how it is. Then afterwards, you talk to the boys. How did you feel? Did you think it? How did it come out to you? How did you think it went? And they were they were getting more and more comfortable with it. 
uh, and then they started really talking to each other. Ash was talking, Ryan was talking, and they're actually starting to bounce off each other. And then you're going, this actually can work. This actually can work. Uh, and then, then you make that final decision uh, that you're going to go with it, which, which Robbie did. We said, like, I think we're going to go with it. And I said, I can't see no reason why not. So that's what we had to do. And you've got to remember the squad was on absolute fumes mm. as in personnel. Yeah. I mean, we had young players warming up in the dressing room because we didn't know if David Louise or Gary Cahill were going to get through the warm-up. That's how much on fumes we were. So it, it was a it was an uncomfortable warm-up in, <laughs> uh, in, in Munich. You know, you're, you're, everyone doesn't want to look, but if you watch the Champions League final, the warm-up, I don't know if you'll be able to see it, there's a row of physios <laughs> down the side. <laughs> And the side of the pitch, looking at the, looking at the, at both Gary Cahill and David Lewis, and and trying not to make it as obvious as possible, so the opposition are not picking up on what we're looking at. But you know, that's how much it was. It was an incredible night. You know, we didn't even know what was gonna, if we was gonna, the team that we picked was gonna even get to the pitch for the the whistle, the first whistle. And in terms of the game plan itself for the final, obviously Bayern Munich in their own stadium, very, very strong side that year. Um, was it kind of much of the same game plan wise for yourself and Robbie? Kind of, you're going to be soaking up a lot of pressure and kind of just hit them on the counter attack? Was that kind of the plan no, going into No, I it? don't think it was as much. Mm. It, you know, it wasn't as much as Barca because Barca was just a different kettle of fish. You know, I know Bayern were fantastic, you know, as well, but... Uh, Barca were just on another level at that time um, but for me it was a bit of yeah we have to win the home ground the whole thing that was they, they, the belief that they had it's in Germany it's in their stadium it's definitely going to be their year um, I think it was a bit of both we had to we had to be able to soak up pressure and be clever in soaking up pressure but we also had to be able to uh, to attack and put them under pressure uh, and we try to do that as much as possible. Um, difficult on the night, difficult on the night because you're not playing with your full uh, complement of players that you know would have started. So it was difficult for us to do that. But I thought, I thought we we dug in when we needed to dig in, uh, and uh, we we found we found something. The players found another 10, 15% from I don't know where, but that's what happens when you get to finals and you never know if you're ever going to get back to a final ever again. So you have to give it everything there and that's what we found. And obviously, Eddie, with watching on from the bench, you know, with, with about 10 minutes or so to go when I think it's Thomas Muller puts that goal in, what are your thoughts on the sidelines? You're thinking kind of this is it for us now or do you still thinking actually we could still try and get something here and force it into extra time? <laughs> Uh, I thought it was that. I thought it was done. Yeah, I, I, I'll be honest with you. I thought it was done. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna lie to you and start saying, "Oh no, I, I had a premonition and uh, yeah. I knew media was gonna knock one in." You know, so I, I just looked and I just went, "You know what? I am extremely grateful for this getting to the final with these bunch of players." You know, I, I, I loved every minute of it, and I, you know, it's one of those you're just thinking, "I don't think we're gonna do it here," but. You know the players were galvanised and kept on going. And the, the one thing that I didn't realise in that moment, to be honest with you, um, was Petar, that, that spine uh, that's been there for, what, eight, nine, whatever, many years. 
that have got so close but failed semi-finals, finals, and it's just eluded them all the time. And I think they just found something. And this is this goes beyond tactics. This goes beyond everything. It goes beyond. It's the mentality, the, the combined mentality. It's not just one person. It's the combined mentality to we're not giving up. We're not giving up. And uh, when Didier scored that header, I was like, oh, my good God. <laughs> uh, I said, here we go again. Okay. We're going into extra time and here we go again. So, um, now what? An amazing experience with with these players. Uh, the you know the the and like we'll go. It's, it's almost going back to when we were talking about the twenty threes about that step up is is not just physical or experience. It's the mental the the mental toughness these players the senior players have got because they've been there they've seen it and they know what they have to do. And the twenty threes are naive to that that stuff. They think they can still play and do their thing and look good and almost be that YouTube footballer going through, you know, uh, where that doesn't really happen in the real world, um, every so often maybe. But um, that mental toughness to drive themselves through that next whatever minutes it was to get themselves score a goal and then go through extra time or, as they did and get to penalties. And by the way, the penalties were unbelievable, by the way. Yeah, they were good. They were good. They were unbelievable. In terms, of, in terms of the penalties, Eddie, like, was it just, is it obviously yourself and Robbie must have kind of gone through it beforehand as a possible scenario? Um, when you actually get to it on the night, is it just a case of who fancies one or have you kind of like, you're sitting with your no, order? We kind of, you, you kind of pick it going into it, but sometimes obviously substitutions, injuries, that, that list might change by the time you get to the, fi- uh, to the penalties. Um, and sometimes you need to, Sometimes players get to that point and they're, they're so mentally shot, physically shot, they say, please, I can't take one. I, I, don't, I don't want to take one. And you can't put a player into that position if he's not ready. It's not fair on him. Um, but most of our players were ready to step up and do what they needed to do. They're happy to do it. Um, um, especially the players that we already put on the list. Um, and it was just maybe after number five, then you start adapting accordingly after number five. Um, and we, we had done that up to a certain point, but then after that, it's then you're just going to have to just adapt on the, on, on the hop. Um, so yeah, we prepared, but obviously you have to adapt accordingly because there's so much time that's been played and you have to adapt according to how the players are feeling at that present moment in time. Are they, uh, are they still on the pitch, you know, and can they do it? So you just have to adjust the list. And, in, and what was that winning, What was that feeling like when, that, when Didier's penalty hit the back of the net? What sort of feelings going through everyone on, on the sidelines? I imagine it's just an unbeatable feeling. I went numb. I went numb. <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I went numb. Everyone's screaming and running around me. I'm like, I can't believe what's just happened. I said, you know, unbelievable, unbelievable. You know, when you just go back and you just say, like, you get called in by Chelsea, Robbie, get me a call. I want you in by tomorrow morning. Okay, no problem. In there, and then you go on this massive run to win the FA Cup and then go on to win the Champions League. And I'm standing there just, just looking around, just going, I can't believe what's going on. I just, I just can't believe it. And I, me personally, I went numb and then caught myself together. 
I looked at, I looked for my family in the in the uh, in the stadium and uh, then uh, then going then obviously going on the pitch and hugging a few people the players. I remember going up to Petter and he said he looked at me and he said I had I didn't have one more minute left in me. He said mentally physically I am shot finished I had nothing left. If we had to go one more minute, I would have put my hand up to 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 be sucked. <laughs> <laughs> he had nothing left, and, and that's and, that, and the reason I'm telling you that is it's funny now, but it shows what these players have to go through. Don't don't think it's just the physical exertion they have to go through. It's the mental, emotional stress that they're under, and and to perform to win the game is incredible. So that's why you have to hand it to these players because they're going under immense amount of pressure when they're going through this. And it's their nervous system, their mental system, their physical system is going through absolute overload. Uh, and, uh, you know, they deserve everything they get. What fantastic insight into 2012. And from all Chelsea fans, Eddie, just thank you so much for <laughs> getting us that Champions League. I can't tell you the emotional roller coaster as a fan. I mean, we, we won it obviously last year, but nothing will compare to the, the first time we did it. I don't think I've exerted so much energy in, into one goal. I mean, even <laughs> even uh, Spy said it himself. I mean, that, that goal from Drogba is one of the most underrated goals just because, you know, it was the equaliser. But to beat the stature of Neuer and that the power he got from that header, just incredible. And obviously, we, then we still had to beat a German team on penalties, which we know English teams aren't renowned for doing. But um, Eddie, I wanted to just talk about, you know, so you've reached the pinnacle at that point, you know, Champions League, FA Cup um, as, an, as, a, as a coach. Um, and we wanted to touch on a very current topic about opportunities for, for black coaches in football, because it's been well documented from particularly um, Sol Campbell um, most recently about the opportunities that they get. And, and perhaps there's an imbalance there. I mean, from, from your viewpoint, I mean, did you have um, offers from other English clubs when you obviously departed Chelsea? And, and how do you feel that balance is now with, with black coaches and the opportunities that they get? As a, as a, I've always said it and I'll, I'll continue to say it, the maths doesn't lie. You know, mathematics don't lie. The numbers are not there, you know. Uh, there's, enough, there's enough coaches going through the system. I think... Uh, I don't. I don't like to talk about myself. I, I'm, I'm not comfortable by it. But my my CV is is more than good enough to to get into any championship club, at least at least. Um, but I haven't had a call from one championship club at all. Um, nothing. Um, so you know, that, that's when you have to look at things. And then you know, for me, I. I, I my ambition is always has always to, and I've been assisting Robbie. I enjoyed assisting Robbie, but it was always to, not always, but the more you get into it, you think I'm the person. I want to challenge myself. I want to go to that next step. Can I do that next step? I'm not afraid of taking that next step, and uh, I want to challenge myself to become a manager. And uh, I thought the opportunity would arise in Turkey. So, like when speaking with the with the uh, president of the club. He, you know, he wanted me to help him with a young, a young guy who's he, he picked to become manager of the club. Um, uh, unfortunately, at the end of the, the season, with two games left, he, he decided to depart with the manager, part, partially part with the manager um, and put me in uh, interim charge, uh, which I won them two games. Um, very good squad of players I had at that time. And uh, 
uh, and we won the two games and it was good. And then he decided to keep me and then then it all went pear-shaped because the, the amount of players leaving and going and the ins and outs was, it was too difficult to deal with. Um, so uh, unfortunately, last December is very volatile in Turkey. Very, very. You think it's volatile in, I'll give you, I'll give you how volatile it is. I think last season, Turkish, the Super League, the, the top league by itself, sacked 28, 28 managers. 28 managers in one season. Uh, that's more than the whole of Europe put together. That shows you how volatile it is, you know? So it's, uh, it's, it's one of those, you, you, it's, it's a very different system over here. It's very different. It's like very political, very thing to, to really get into clubs. Um, it's great. They've got so many good things going for it, but I think it needs to develop in different ways. And Eddie, how, how obviously you mentioned about the step up from kind of like youth team football to first team football, there being quite a big gap. How different then is it stepping up from being an assistant to then being the main man? How did you sort of deal with that transition yourself? Uh, I thought I was, I, I felt, I felt okay. I felt okay. I just, I think that the hardest thing is for any manager, I think the experienced managers will, will be better at it, obviously, but I think it's, it's not dealing with players, it's dealing with the management up above, above your head. Uh, because uh, no disrespect for them, I know they're, they're the financial powers to be, but they don't understand football like you. Um, so to explain some, something to somebody that doesn't really understand what you're trying to get over to them can be very difficult at times. And I'm sure many managers will tell you the same thing. Um, some, some are lucky to have a, a uh, a technical director there that the owner trusts and that technical director has got very good football knowledge then it makes it easier to make decisions as a group of people together but if you if you haven't got that technical director that's next to you that supports you and also be able to feed into the the owner then it's very difficult sometimes because you're asking for your type of player he wants to bring in another type of player uh, you know, the finances on this player is better for him than the player that you want to bring in, all these kind of things. So it's managing up is the more difficult thing when you step from assistant to uh, manager. It's not managing down, it's managing up that you have to deal with. And in terms of obviously you've managed in England, you've managed at some top clubs, how different is it managing in Turkey to kind of coaching and managing in England? Like is the game very different there in terms of the style of football, sort of the way the yeah. football's played in the league? Yeah, very, very difficult. Uh, uh, not difficult, I mean different. I mean, um, there's no real system. So if I say, okay, they've got another 90s where we have another 23, so they have a 90s and a 17s. And it's like the, the gap between the 23s and the, and the first team in England, in Europe in general, is close because the technical programme, the physical programme, everything that has been put into them, uh, all the top clubs so there's a there's an ability to go so a manager can go and get, pick an under 23 and come train and he won't be too far off the first team group does that make sense yeah where where if in Turkey if you go to a 19s and bring him into the first team setup you don't know what you're going to get he, he could be so far off or just because not because he's been taught well but because he's just generally a very good talent 
he's able to swim with the with the senior players. So it's it's a mismatch. I think the technical program, uh, uh, the the tactical program, uh, the physical program of the the development of the young players is not good enough in this country. I think they rely too much on the talent uh, to come through, and it is the talent that gets through. Um, and then it kind of stops once they get to first team level. It kind of stops unless they're unbelievable talent and their talent just brings them through. It's not because of good coaching, a good system, support system around them to help them through. They, they, everything is built from the top down in Turkey. Does that make sense? Yeah. And just, just uh, yeah, and there's another, another thing just on Turkey, Eddie, you know, um, how are there kind of any exciting players kind of to watch out for in the league that we could potentially see, you know, moving on to some big European teams or coming into the Premier League? Because, you know, over the years in the Turkish league, you know, you've had the likes of, obviously, Didier has gone on played there, Wesley Schneider, particularly Galatasaray, obviously Falcao there now, um, mm. obviously Mesut Ozil at Fenerbahce. Um, mm. Are there any players that we should be looking out for that could be potentially bursting onto the scene? There, there's, 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 a lot, there's a lot of players, but it, it, the difficulty is that uh, I, I don't want to look down on Turkey because it, mm. it's, it's, it is a good, it, it, it's got so much potential. I, I've got, I, I'll keep saying it, the potential in this country is unbelievable, but getting it right and harnessing it is, is the difficulty. Um, the problem is they have got top players here. Honestly, they have. But to bring them over to Europe is like bringing a 23s to the first team. Because they haven't had that system, that, that development system to help them, tactical, this, that, and the other. To come into a European side, it takes six, seven, eight, nine, a year, a year and a half for them to, to adapt, especially the Premier League, because it's the most physical league in the world. So for them to jump from the Super League to the Premier League is, is enormous, enormous for them. But players have done it. And I think they will do it. There's a young boy at Kaiserlisport. Uh, I don't know if you know that club, but Kaiserlisport is a, a mid-table, shall we say, mid-table to lower uh, club in um, in Turkey. They got a young 17-year-old. I forgot his name. Young, no, I think he'd be 18, 19 now. Incredible talent. I mean, incredible. He reminds me of Ces Fabregas. You know how Cesc always used to look over his shoulder before he received the ball. He knew what was around him. He was able to move the ball, not physically quick or powerful, but he would be able to take the game because of his, his awareness and his ability on the ball. This boy reminds me of him. And uh, I think he needs to move out. He needs to move to a European club as soon as possible uh, if, if that, could, that could happen. Uh, that's sorry, that's fascinating insight, Eddie, of, of, into Turkey for sure. Um, we're just going to wrap up uh, with a, just a few quick fire questions um, for like last sort of two, three, four minutes, um, if, if that's all right. Um, obviously, you've already covered some of them, so I'll skip those ones out. Um, at Chelsea, Eddie, was there a specific player you enjoyed coaching at all? Like, was there one you really enjoyed working with? And who kind of improved the most as a player during your time there? There's loads of players I, I loved working with. Uh, um, I, it's hard to pick one in there. Yeah, yeah, you know, you just the array of talent that you're working with is very difficult. I think, I think if if 
working with someone on the pitch is different than working with someone as in uh, on the loan program. So on the mm. loan program, you work with them in a different way. So I think I've got a lot of, I've got a lot of uh, satisfaction um, in certain uh, times with the loan program when you see the development of the young player going into senior football uh, and seeing him develop in senior football and taking on the, the valuable information that you're giving him to help him to get through and, to, and he, he's, he's accepting it. And, and then you can see that actually playing out on the football pitch and then you're going, okay, now he's listening, now he's developing, now he's becoming a man uh, in, the, in the sense of a football. Um, and, uh, and then obviously he either comes back to the club and, and does well or he moves on. And uh, I think... I think I'll just I'll just be very fortunate as a coach to work with so many great players, and that's not me bailing out and saying I don't yeah. want to name anyone. It's I, I really can't I yeah. can't I can't put my finger on it to be honest with you. I have a question from a fan here who's saying, um, your for your aspect of coaching, what's your favourite thing that you like to do? Um, and an example that they gave was, is it working with a younger player to develop them and give them the skills to then make that gap, or is it already working with an established player and giving a different look from your, you know, from your coaching aspect to see if you can add something to their game? What's your favourite? What's your favourite thing to do when you're thinking? Uh, I think if you're if you're a manager or assistant manager, because you're constantly under pressure uh, of your job. Uh, going, you, you you tend to go towards the senior player because they're the ones that are gonna uh, they're gonna get the job done for you, uh, and they they're, they're more likely than not to get the three points for you at the weekend or midweek or whatever. So you tend to work with the senior players as much as possible to get your points across. Um, but me personally, I love working with a young player if if he's deserved if he's in within the young within the first team setup. And he needs developing. I want him to be developed. Uh, it, whether it's me developing him or coaches that working around me, I want him to be developed. And I, I like when the coaches sit together and, and they formulate a plan for that young player. You know, saying that okay, he's lacking in these areas. Well, okay, if it's physical, shall we say we'll, we'll get the gym guys working with him on certain times during the week. Um, and then we'll work with him tactically later on in the week, coming closer to the game and so on and so forth and, and, and speeding up his progress around the first team. And I, I think I enjoy all, all aspects, really, to be honest with you. That's the reason why, you, you, know, you know, you love being there on the pitch. And, you know, sometimes you don't want to come off the pitch because the training session has been so good. And then players get that feeling as well. They want to do a bit of shooting. And, you know, so you organise a shooting session for them and, Maybe someone wants to do some running because he's be a little bit behind the curve physically. So another coach will go with him and, and do something with him. These are all the aspects that you love as a, as a coach to, to help develop senior, uh, junior. It doesn't matter. It's, it's part of your remit as a coach to, to develop help uh, in any way possible to enhance the player. So when he comes on match day, he's able to perform at the highest levels. Right, okay. And last couple, only just a couple of quick fire ones. Um, what, this might be quite difficult to answer. What's more satisfying in your perspective? Winning trophies as a like, coach and manager or winning trophies as a player? Because you've done both. What, what do you take more satisfaction from or is it kind of a different feeling? It's a different feeling, but I would have to say as a player. Yeah. As a player. Because, you know, from a baby, the first thing you've done is kick a ball. 
and you've developed through the ranks in your school, then into your district, then the county, then eventually you play for, you, 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 I went to Chelsea and then you go through all the different age groups and then eventually in the first team and then, then you're starting to win trophies and to win, to, win, to win a trophy with the club that you grew up with as well is, is a massive thing. And uh, I was fortunate enough to do that with Frank Sinclair, the likes of Saint Frank Sinclair and others uh, that we grew up at the club and, and won trophies together. And it's, that's a special feeling, a really special feeling. Um, and uh, I, think, I think as much as being a coach and a manager is great, the best job in the world for me, being a player. And last final one, Eddie, then. Um, what are the non-negotiables that you demand of players like as a, as a coach? What things are non-negotiable in terms of like, stuff like attitude, etc.? What do you demand work, from players? Work, work, rate, work rate for the team is non-negotiable. If you're not going to work, get off the pitch. I don't want you on the pitch. You, know, it's not, you can't carry anyone no more. You know, gone are the days where you can have got a, a, a special player that just swans around the pitch and then he can you give them him the ball and he's able to do something special and score a great goal or a great assist. Then days are gone. They are gone. You every man to to a T has to has to do their work for the team because if you don't you will lose. There's two the, every team in the world is well prepared now. Even the lower league teams you come up against them they're all well prepared physically tactically so you can't carry anyone. So non-negotiable is if you're not willing to work for your teammate and for the team, get off the pitch. No, no that, that, that's a fascinating insight, Eddie. And again, that brings the questions to an end. Sorry, we didn't have time to get through them all. Um, George, anything to wrap up with? No, I mean, that's a, that's full time on another episode of the, of the Blues Brothers podcast. Again, uh, big thanks to co-host Charlie Patrick, as always, for joining me. Thank you to the fans for your questions. We're sorry we weren't able to get through them all, but we had a, we had a high flux of uh, questions coming through. And, you know, lastly, thank you so much, Eddie, for joining us. I mean, it was just an honour for you to reply back and obviously be welcome to come on the show. I mean, it's been an absolute privilege to get your insight into, you know, certainly history that you, you know, not just at Chelsea, but everywhere and to get your, your coaching thoughts on it because... Uh, like you said, you know, even growing up as kids, we all kicked balls against garage doors at Wembley and you were lucky enough to actually do it. So just, uh, you know, I, I shake my head in unbelievement. So it's just, yeah, thank you so much, Eddie. And uh, we wish you the best of luck with all your future in- endeavours. And um, yeah, that, that sums up the rest of the Blues Brothers podcast for another week. So thank you very much for listening. Yeah, thanks thank very much, Eddie. Cheers. Thank no, you. Pleasure. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Good show.